be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, I'm the Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello, everyone. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. Now, as long promised and long discussed, we are bringing you a movie in cinemas, a very big movie in cinemas. I think the, without question, the biggest release of the year, Tenet. It is out on Thursday. We have seen it and we are doing a spoiler-free review, which means we are not discussing the plot, but we will be discussing some of the form and technical details and, and some of the, re- the reception to the movie as well, because I found that to be kind of curious. We're not doing our full final take on Tenet because Farad hasn't had a chance to see it yet, but when he does, we'll be coming back with a spoiler discussion podcast. That's correct. I had a proper excuse. It was my birthday weekend, so I was not watching Tenet instead of celebrating my birthday. But that will be rectified next week. We will be... It's a strange one. I will go into this a little more detail, but it's debatable what constitutes a spoiler given the form of the film. So we're going to be talking in very general terms about other things, but obviously the marketing has been very secretive. You know, we're probably going to reveal a little bit more than the marketing. I think the film's fair game now to discuss in broad terms, but uh, if you want to keep it. It's not out in the U S yet. No, it's not. No, not for another week. Good for us. They they actually released a uh, final trailer the other day, which just spoils the entire film. So I would recommend not watching that. I couldn't believe the details that are in it. It's actually nice having mystery going into a movie. I'm happy. I remember not watching any marketing material for The Last Jedi. Don't bother watching the trailers. Just I reckon through. you could watch the earlier trailers for this and not really know too much, but I reckon they've panicked and put together this final trailer because it's, oh, we really are releasing a movie in the middle of the pandemic. We're going we'll to lose go some money. Yeah. Yes, sound as cool as possible. Lots of yeah. shops. I mean, especially design. after so many delays, right? I mean, it was becoming a gimmick as to like, oh, Tenet's going to get delayed again. They only delayed it like five weeks from when it was originally yeah. meant to come out. So, yeah. Nolan has given a boon to cinemas and cinemas are thrilled that they'll have it and many will be as full as can be. So that we're going to be covering... It's not that full. full. It's not that full, but... Oh, yeah, when, when you guys went to watch it, how was full the for them. Like, It was like... Uh, people were three seats away from each other like any group of people there had to be three seats spare next to them and every second row was completely empty so it was not that full and i can tell you it was enforced um someone tried to sit much close to us and the usher came up and said no no that's your seat you go sit there and good on them so before we get into the tenant we just want to note a couple of things that happening about town the lebanese film festivals in full swing online the fantastic film festival australia is doing a national live stream right after we finish going to air with the director of the foaming node and a screening the sydney underground film festival second annual take 48 film competition is happening this weekend you can still register it goes from friday through to sunday you're given a theme and a line and you have to make a film out of that in 48 hours with a team and you can approach them if you know if you want a cinematographer or director or actors chris and i did it last year we had a lot of fun and that's also happening in conjunction with film championships which is another 48 or at the same time i should say it's film championships which is another 48 hour film competition static vision are going into their 21st week of screenings on friday night we're celebrating 20 last week happy birthday to them and to Virat. and the cinema international science fiction science film festival excuse me is in their last week of over 21 online for free 21st birthday yeah not the best time to have 21st birthday but hey still um we, we're gonna have some fun and celebrate it's been uh, Virat's 21st birthday for the last few years yeah, oh congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's my, it was my 28th birthday, which means I'm just going to be turning 30 and then it's all downhill from there very soon. Thanks, man. 
Like, dude. <laughs> uh, so it's actually, people really actually, believe like, that. Do people really believe that like 30 is this like this devastating? Uh, I don't know. I, I just keep hearing that, and I feel like I've now psyched myself to believe it. I'm I think sure people. I, I think that's that's just the culture. I think everyone tells themselves that the thirties is when there's no more fun time. Glenn, you, you're I'm 28, right? And you're therefore, they, yes, 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 I am. Um, no, 30, uh, 30s are great. Well, I don't know what they're telling you. There was a, actually a wonderful film made in this at Kino one time about the number of 30 year olds reflecting on turning 30 and the number of 60 year olds reflecting on turning 30 and the yeah. talking about how it was such a wonderful time in their life. So yeah, live it up, enjoy it. Even if though there is a pandemic, so don't live it up too much, but <laughs> live it up. I'm um, speaking of birthdays. I know we're pre-recording this, but when this goes to air, it might be someone else's birthday. Not sure who you're talking about, Glenn. Well, someone else, yeah, friend of no, ours. no, this, this other person's birthday is definitely for next episode. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I remember the dates episode. correctly. Uh, no, you don't remember the dates at all for it. Oh God, okay. <laughs> it's Wednesday. Yeah, we, we oh, have it a lot is of, Wednesday. We have, we have a lot of we have birthdays. Happy, happy birthday to everyone! It's a nice bir- it's a nice birthday time. Um, I thought it was Thursday for some reason. Anyway, so no, it's Wednesday. Tenant, much bigger, much bigger story than anyone's birthday. <laughs> um, but before we get into the tenant, we just want to note that the Melbourne International Film Festival concluded on Sunday uh, to note to some acclaim and to record numbers the attendance at last year's film festival was 190,000 this year there were 205,000 streams but it presumed 307,000 views given they presume that 1.5 people are watching per view so this is a record for the film festival and obviously Melbourne is in a critical stage right now people are isolating within their homes so a lot of people sought out this uh, event in the Melbourne calendar year and good on them. They seem to have engaged a lot of people and reached a lot of folks and done spectacularly well in getting a lot of films that wouldn't otherwise get out there, out there. The question is, would there still have been such high numbers watching um, an online edition if they were to do this next year um, or if this were not a year that everyone was in lockdown? Is it just the novelty that this is the first ever online film festival and there's a shortage of things to do? Um, are people go- seriously going to consider in the future moving film festivals online? The, personally, well, the idea of a film festival as a limited time only streaming platform isn't that appealing to me, but yeah, how do you feel? I liked the fact that it was limited time only. Um, I don't believe they're looking to go online again. I think they'll take a similar attitude to National Movie from the Sydney Film Festival who told us that the aim is to have in person next year and not have a similar online component. Obviously, situation pending, but I think they're looking to have the lines outside the comedy theatre again next year for sure. I, I don't think... I mean, I, I definitely love the the kind of communal aspect of it to be able to see people, which is kind of the reason I go to Melbourne every year and we all go to Melbourne every year is, you know, if, if this wasn't a pandemic year, we'd probably be in Melbourne right now. If, if nothing else, it's I, I, would, I would be. It, I'd be on a road trip to Broken Hill. Well, talking about that from geographical Melbourne. element, it stops being the Melbourne Film Festival if you're watching it from anywhere, right? Like the... Um, yeah. It's this, just a film festival. Yeah, 20% of the viewers went from Victoria, apparently. And it was also the factor that any screening that would sell out can have infinite capacity here, you know? Yeah. Um, but they did enforce uh, limited capacities in terms of like tickets were selling out in terms of how many digital screenings they were allotting to certain people which i felt was a bit i don't know i'm not sure how i feel about that if i'm still paying for a digital ticket whether that should also have a limited number of capacity it could be something imposed on them by the rights holders about controlling the access to the film at this stage i'm not sure but um 
yeah, the numbers must have been really high if the numbers allowed for more viewers than come to MIF in a normal year when there's a few hundred more films than they showed. Absolutely. Then, yeah, those, those digital theaters must have been enormous. And I agree that there is something to the density of the festival and having it in Melbourne, which is reflected in the selection. I don't think they'd want to do it in this form ongoing just because it would lose it would transform, but it would lose its very MIF identity. And I don't, think, I don't think MIF wants to do that of all festivals. No, I don't think so. I think MIF definitely is one of the more, there's a MIF film type and the MIF crowd that seeks out those kind of movies, which only get taken up at MIF. MIF has a very strong identity for sure. Yeah. Um, to know, on the festival front, the Darwin International Film Festival just launched their program. It's going ahead in the third week of September and they have claimed to be the first physical film festival in the world going ahead huh. i okay. certainly haven't i follow ones in australia i haven't known one to go ahead in australia as i've when, like a fest screenings which so have happened when is that meant to start uh september it, it's the i'll tell you i'll tell you right now i think it's the third week of september but uh it is here we go september 18 through 27 okay isn't the venice film festival i'm looking at the dates for that i'm pretty sure yeah, that, that should be september end as well hmm yeah, so but May... No, so Venice is September 2nd to 12th, and it is going ahead physically, so uh, they're not right at all. No, okay. Wow. Maybe not, well, at least for Australia, aside from some of the Flickerfest screenings. So that's things on the festival front. You're listening to Film Fight Club, Glenn Falconstein, Chris Evans, and Brat Nehru, and now we're going to talk about Tenant Non-Spoiler Review, which is out on Thursday. It is the new Christopher Nolan film. It is starring John David Washington, Robin Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, and in broad terms, is a sci-fi, spy, neo-noir, heist thriller, which addresses our conceptions about time. It is... I mean, that uses time as a plot element slash Nolan narrative machine action device. <laughs> it's hard to talk about this movie in vague terms. I'll put that out there up front, as Glenn yeah. did. Um, Especially as we don't we don't want to talk about too much because there are elements that come full circle and that um, this film rewards not just repeat viewing but very careful deliberate viewing. I've enjoyed unpacking it with friends afterwards. I, I think it's part of the design very much so. I don't think it's a great film. Um, I'll put that up front. But I am not one of the converted when it comes to Nolan. I've always been a bit of a Nolan skeptic. And I think this is in the upper half of his filmography in terms of quality. Um, but it is one that I 100% think is designed to be something you want to revisit and um, reassess knowing what you do, having finished the film the first time, going back to some of those earlier plot, you know, mysteries and uh, perhaps it gives a satisfying feeling of everything coming together. I'm not sure. I'll try and catch it again before we cover it again. Um, but despite that element, and uh, I mean, I think everyone going into this by now sort of knows the drill when it comes to Christopher Nolan, right? Like, this is very, very Christopher Nolan. This is very, very along the lines of what he's been doing um, in every movie, sound, you know, except for Dark Knight Rises since Inception. Okay, several things to that. I do think it's, I, I read Nolan quite a bit higher than I think you do, Chris. I do agree it's in the upper half of his filmography. I think it's the best film he's made in 10 years. I think Definitely the best since Inception. 
I, agree. I think a lot of a lot of people are going to compare this to Inception because similar to Inception, it invites the knowledge within, especially because it's so fast paced that when you're watching it, you're not fully reckoning with it, but you will, and you're part of a broader experience where, like a good mystery thriller or an iconic one, you can deliberate on it and discuss and digest. And I guarantee you, there are whiteboards and hours long YouTube videos that are going to be dedicated to teasing this out. Um, there's a distinction that has to be made with Inception, though. Inception, and people are going to compare it to Inception. It's a bit of a lax comparison because Inception is much more speculative. This is more complicated and it's more labyrinthine. But importantly, I think it, and I'm willing to revise this on further views, I think it offers less interpretations because it operates very much as a spy mystery and the noir thriller where there are limited uh, ways that you can interpret it. This is distinct from um, some of the characters who we don't meet on screen, which uh, we'll get into much more detail with spoilers, but that offers up, I think, much more views and interpretations depending on your reading of them in the film. This film, I would say, is actually much more confusing than Inception. There've been a lot of, um, you know- I agree. Yeah, a lot of people are complaining about, oh, I barely understood Inception. I never thought that was actually difficult to follow, but there were moments in Tenet I was- Yeah, actually, the Inception uh, critiques are always, I'm just, and there's so many theories, I'm like, I don't think that matters. Like, you it know, wasn't that it's very, very of, clear. It opens yeah. up a lot of theories, but it's not difficult to get to the yeah, liberations yeah, of those theories, unlike this movie, which yeah, is very, the, very, not convoluted, but complex. Yeah, this is complex. And Nolan has actually greatly improved in this film in one specific area. Mostly, it's exactly what you'd expect in terms of Nolan, no improvement or uh, degradation of quality. But he has improved in terms of explaining away too much. Compared to Inception, this film is way more confident to let the audience figure it out for themselves instead of so having... It's, it's not an info dump? There are, there are some info dumps, but they're kept concise and the, the film isn't slowed down by explanations of rules. So I think the reason for this is the particular form Nolan's using. It's his first noir. It operates in... No, it's like not. A, no, no, I absolutely, absolutely is. It operates in, following is not a noir? So, so, okay, so, sorry. I will, get to the memento, I will get to the memento comparison in a little bit. The Dark Knight? His entire film I don't, almost I don't agree is dark, I don't agree Dark Knight's a neo-noir. But it has neo noir elements. Like, there are elements, but I wouldn't, ones, not overly so. Memento does, I will, and I'll get to the comparison of Memento in a second. This progresses like a classic noir where characters come and go, fleeting shadows in the night, things are explained in fast dialogue very quickly. And part of the design here is A, as I said, get it out of the way, but also confuse and confound us so we can come back and have to deliberate more. I think the problem with this film is that it starts like a noir and then continues like one until the action takes over. And the form of overwhelming action doesn't beget like noir. It works in Memento where it was much more tighter framing and there were shadows, uh, much more elegantly and deliberately deployed. But in the latter half, the noir style doesn't beget the film. I don't think this film is that much of a noir. This film is a 90s action blockbuster. Shooting on film completes the, the feeling of this being from another time. This is a smart um though some aspects of the script and the plot are actually quite dumb um and characterizations this, we'll get into so oh yeah, yeah dude we'll, we'll get terrible. into that especially in the spoiler discussion yeah. but this is like a 90s bond film without the humor crossed with a 90s high concept sci-fi film it uses some noir film trappings but really it's like a spectacle um we filmed all around the world like golden style yeah. Yeah, Not like oh, a little I'd bit say... like kind of like Goldeneye. 
It's a classic Bond compared to James Bond though. And um, we'll get into this when we talk a little bit about the, yeah, Living Daylights. It's very grounded. It's that gritty realistic style. And like the Timothy Dalton Bond films, it's less focused on action breaking things up all the time. There's actually not that much action at all in the first half of the movie. And most of the action intended is saved for the second half. Um, This is like a grounded Bond film that is way more focused than most modern Bond or really any Bond on the actual ins and outs of espionage. Yeah, the, the action, in that regard, closer to the Timothy Dalton ones. The, the action is very good on the matter of the, it's practically shot for the most part. It's Almost no where, CG. Yeah, the, to the points where there are CG intrusions, it's actually very grating. I know one particular scene during a car chase where a character winds down a window and it's just so obvious that this was not filmed practically. And it's just um, unnecessary in the context of this film. On I didn't context, notice that. Nolan obviously has always wanted to make something akin to a Bond film. This is the closest he's ever he done was, in life. He was approached by the James Bond producers. Um, uh, look, Inception was also full of just the Bond type iconography, you know, expensive hotels, people in suits. This is the same. This is like um, Russian villains on yachts. <laughs> you know, this right. is James Bond. I'm getting, so on the render of the Russian villain, the, the worst thing about the film, the, the villain takes a line directly from Casino Royale. It takes a character action directly from it. And this, the writing of this figure is so absurd and over the top that it doesn't get a nuanced discussion about this film. Let's talk about there this in spoilers because there's no way I can reply to that. <laughs> well, I, I, there's a couple of other things I do, I do want to address more broadly speaking. There's, this film is very philosophically interesting and quite dense. There's this amazing battle that every character has when any decision they make between the concepts of fatalism and nihilism. They're two very distinct things. And it is teased out um, in some exposition between two of the main characters later in the film. The main foil is a nihilistic character. But what's interesting about him is his fatalistic aspects. We'll get into this in more details and spoilers, but by making him so over the top, it it dilutes the emphasis of the film and dilutes its impact and i wish they had it it's also a terrible piece of casting only furthered by um very lax characterizations every character in this is a is a plot it's not just a plot device but a prop you can explain everything about the characters in less than a minute look the reviews of this have been a little bit strange for me um i watched the film uh and i i went into it not knowing what the critical response was and when i came out i said that was a christopher Dolan film all of the things that I've thought uh, major flaws with his filmmaking are on full display here, uh, as well as his strengths. Um, and he, for whatever reason, people are really calling him out on having bad characterization here. Absolutely, I agree. However, I would say that in general, Nolan films have bad yeah, I mean, characterization. Agreed. But that's, that's a, that's a, that's a fault too. of all his movies. That's true. I'm, not, I'm just saying that it's strange that people are... Um, really noticing that and docking the film for that now when in the past Nolan's gotten a free pass and if anything I think has been overhyped um, and people have been willing to look over the glaring flaws in his films. I suppose maybe the only thing that makes them stand out more or that you know makes it seem like more of an issue for people this time around is that as I said the opening half of the film doesn't have that much action and is mostly focused on um, character dynamics driving, really it's plot. It's focused on plot, but the plot involves characters driving a spy story. 
the choices of characters and maybe that um, the lack of big spectacle distractions, like in, for example, Inception is making people focus on how cardboard those people actually are. Okay. On the matter of how bad the characters are, I don't even need to do any spoilers for this. There is nothing to spoil. The main character, they essentially have a desire to protect the innocent. They don't like fussy people in suits and but that's something that's, that's only a secondary aspect of the character that gets gotten later in the film. The Robert Pattinson character is a physicist. Elizabeth Debicki's character, her mom, only is a mom. Her only motivation is to take care of a kid, admirable but singularly dimensional. The only interesting character is the bad guy, and he's established with some amazing motivation, which goes back to never goes anywhere with it though. Soviet Union, but it never goes anywhere with it because again, he's so over the top. The characters are used. The plot is amazing. But they are just pawns within it. And I wish we'd but Nolan singly dimensional about any of them, just make that much better. And Aaron Taylor Johnson, nothing. What can you tell me about him? Absolutely nothing. Nolan has always been too proud of his own cleverness, I think. Right right back to the beginning. He his films are so mechanically plot orientated that I feel like they've missed out on it being as emotionally affecting as they could possibly be. Um, and in this film, that stretches to the design of the film itself. Is do you think it's fair game for me to say what the main character is credited as in the in the credits? Absolutely. He's called the protagonist in the film. He's never referred, given a name, and there's references to him being the protagonist or who the protagonist of this story is. Maybe that that has some thematic relevance, I guess. Um, and uh, unnamed characters aren't really a new thing. But and going as far as calling him a, the protagonist seems to me like a... Lazy. No, not that. Smug. Like, it's the cleverness of look at how I am commenting on how narrative works. Look, you know, this guy is like, it doesn't matter that he's not a character. He is just the protagonist. I am telling you he is the protagonist that you project on. And doesn't this make you think about how stories are structured? Yeah. And it's just like... Or how, how like, there, there is a meta reading of this film in terms of, like, how later events change the way we think about earlier events and their place in the narrative or something. And, you know, he plays the role of the protagonist. But at a certain point, it's like, yeah, we, we get that you're clever, Nolan. Um, like, what uh, all else have you got? When it comes to characterization. Yeah, but, but in terms of the, these clever plots, it's like, what else have you got? On the matter of the characterization, to finish on two points, because there really is much to say, because there isn't much characterization at all. Michael Caine rocks up very briefly, and for no reason, it really is just a massive... It's Nolan. Nolan. It's, it's going to be this. You have to have Michael Caine in this movie, or just about phones <laughs> it in. And on the matter of um, last thing about the Russian character, this actor has played a Russian bad guy with a bad Russian accent in the film, in a very bad film before, and he should have been cast as one here. I wanted to understand: does the runtime of the film take away from the experience, or it's long? So. But I don't think so. Um, I think it was. I was entertained. On. I was entertained, but I was never bored. Talking about the characters and the the casting here, though, um, can I just say that? John David Washington, I think, really holds the film back. I remember thinking in Black Klansman that he could handle the the funny stuff, but at the points where he was supposed to emote a little bit more seriously, I felt hit the limitations of his acting in a big way. But as in Black Klansman, he's cast opposite a sidekick who's there to be the serious one who shows emotion, as if the filmmakers realize this guy's limitations. Adam Driver did the serious emoting in Black Klansman. And here it's Robert Pattinson who does the serious emoting. And watching this, I was just thinking, man, how much better would this film have been if Robert Pattinson was the protagonist? 
Okay. That, like, okay, the people have been docking this film for a lack of humanity, which going back to what I said about Nolan's characterization earlier, similar complaint. I haven't found many of Nolan's films to be that emotionally affecting at all. And all of them, I would say to some extent, are lacking in humanity. Um, he's only really fallen flat in a serious way in that department with uh, Interstellar because that film was meant to be so sentimental. Um, and the, the gap between what Nolan is trying to intellectually convey and what you actually feel was too apparent. But by cast, uh, this is another inhumanely um, mechanically plot driven film. But there are some notes where emotion could have been felt. I think this is where casting is really important. How much more successful was the emotional uh, arc of um, Inception because of the casting of Leo, who gave, really gave it all in, in the scenes with Marion Cotillard? And while the protagonist doesn't go through such intense <coughs> emoting, there are moments when the, what the actor brings to this would really matter because the script isn't diving into character psychology, just fleeting expressions on the face and the way that the actor approaches the scene could give you a sense of the gravitas of some of the choices this guy's having to make. But we don't do that. Okay, several things to that. Cobb is a more interesting character, not just because DiCaprio is such a good actor, but because, because he he's a named character, not just has, the protagonist. But he has multiple character motivations. He wants to, he's worried, he's concerned about the his wife. He wants to see his children. He wants to, his business to succeed and to get out of this criminal situation. Whereas the characters in this film, their motivation, which we'll come to the back in a, to a second, is very much, we want to protect the innocent. It's interesting. It's not good enough. Bond, who has a similar motivation, also has other character-defining traits, to use that comparison again. On the matter of Washington, Pattinson and he have added the equal levels of characterization, but it's a testament to simply that Pattinson is a more nuanced actor. Washington, not having a lot to do with, can't has nothing to emote to. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek lately, and there's a lot of actors who have a lot of very lax characters, but are very good. And the classical theatrical sense are able to view their characters with more humanity. Washington simply isn't up to that task. Nope. Character motivation. Um, I, we talked about this in the, con well, in the context of other films, like The Nightingale, The Shape of Water. And this is a very, another very bad example of the trend. In any number of films, if there's a bad guy, it's always just accepted that if a man is after him, that it's because... Um, they're protecting the innocent and they're doing the right thing and that's enough. But if a woman is going to, and there's only one really, really one female character in this film, if a woman is going to take action against it, it must be for wrong, not done unto others more general, but done unto her. So there's these, ex the only really extra extraneous scenes are ones where we see him and he's tr this character's treatment of the one defender, the female character. Now, granted, this character is a very bad person, would do things like this, but... I think they always were included to speak to her motivation, which were not necessary as an explanation of the other characters' motivations, not necessary. It's a very poor piece of, and of uh, scripting, which we see recur a lot. And it didn't need to be here any more than it needed to be in a film like The Shape of Water, which is another very poor example of this trend. Um, moving on, on the James Bond tangent, another thing this does is it goes to, let me away from the characterization, it goes to so many locales like Estonia, for example, where I was at all of a year ago, but unlike James Bond films, it doesn't really situate you there because there's nothing in the description of the, of the visual description of the locations, which is distinct. You don't feel you're suddenly in this part of the world, all the, whether it's India or Estonia or else, all the places just kind of look the same. And 
for someone who's so visually creative and has such a visual focus as Nolan and again, shooting practical effects with practical effects, that was strange to me. And, and it, it was a similar issue with Inception, which people just seem to have let fall by the wayside and not being highly critical of, but here it's much more pronounced. I think the reason why people are suddenly criticizing this, looking at um, the critical consensus that seems to be coming through now is simply that the Nolan hypes died down. And at this point, we are getting a sense of what a Christopher Nolan movie is. Maybe it's just becoming apparent that this guy isn't actually the Kubrick of our times as some people have tried to hype him up as being. Um, this guy isn't going to keep coming out with brilliant new takes on how films work. This guy has a specific style, certain flaws, certain strengths, and what he's doing at this point is very recognizable. You know, it's like you know the drill by now. As the um, plots, like- I, Yeah. Without giving too much away, this is a similar sort of film to Inception and Interstellar and to an extent the prestige on Memento. Like, it's a Chris Nolan movie. It stopped blowing people away with its novelty anymore. So now people are starting to just go, okay. Like the shines come off a bit and so the flaws are starting to become apparent. I think that's where we're at. What do you think? Uh, I think... But those flaws were always there, make no mistake. I think it's reflective in the sound design. It's just very lazy here and over the top and boring. No one's sound design has always been bad. But but not in something like Dunkirk where it's meant to suffocate and situate you in the circumstance where you're not supposed to know what's going on in the battlefield. Here, in the part of action sequences, the sound design is paired back. So you can actually kind of see and hear what's going on. But then in the quiet sequences, he wants to keep it at the same tempo. So he just throws in these odd um, distorted sounds and it don't work and it is um, very jarring. We're going to be continuing on the podcast talking all things Tenet. Stay tuned. So we are back on Film Fight Club talking all things Tenet. It was weird coming out of the cinema and seeing the polarized critical reception. Wasn't it? really liked it and people didn't like it. As mentioned earlier, what I've seen is um, quote saying that it's self-parody. I don't think it is. I think this is what a heightened version of what the best episodes of Rick and Morty could be like if they took themselves very seriously. That's the style of writing. And that's not a pejorative time I really like it. Very intellectual. But it's... The true intellectuals who love Richard and Mortimer. Yeah, if people used to see, yeah, exactly, Richard and Mortar. People used to seeing it in a absurd place, so it's a little jarring for a lot of folks to suddenly see it taken very self seriously. That's and the joy of high concept sci-fi. Self serious. Yeah, no, that, that's the joy of high concept sci-fi. This and movie, sci-fi. it's clever enough to be entertaining. You know, I think I think for me, this movie was actually a pleasant surprise because since I haven't enjoyed really a Nolan film since Inception, I liked The Dark Knight Rises as a bit of dumb fun. I liked. I liked things. I didn't think it I was liked spectacular. Things, yeah, I liked things about Interstellar. I enjoyed the experience overall, but um, the fact that it went so heavily into emotional territory and Nolan's strength is not in investing his stories with a lot of recognizable humanity um, dragged it down a bit. No. This film doesn't try to be so emotional. This film has aspects that could be emotional as well as serving this. Um, plot puzzle purpose they solve here in the hands of a stronger 
storyteller perhaps, but I'm fine with them just functioning on this kind of level here. Yeah, I'm um, also willing to note but, that everything we've said is uh, we have to caveat with the idea that once we actually sit down and pick apart this film, it may actually make no sense. Some well, there's awful. actually a line going into Nolan's meta cleverness. There's a line early on in this film: "Don't try to understand it, just feel it." And as soon as that was spoken, I, okay, all right, I, I see how this is going to go. What do you want? It's what do you want? Where, where do you guys think is the disconnect in, with this film? But like with the critics, you guys are saying this is a very Chris Nolan kind of movie. Why do you think people are disappointed because they expect a different kind of Chris Nolan movie? I think, I think it's a number of things. One, I think maybe there, were, there used to be the sense that of like, how is Nolan going to blow us away? And we're settling into the realization that he is Nolan. He makes Nolan-like films. This is an extremely Nolan-like film. And so it's not, and after all the mystery and the plot department and the marketing, maybe there's the sense that this could be some new thing that blows your mind. And you realize that, oh, it's like the other ones he did, but he's refined the, the, a formula a little, um, which for to me, since the, satisf- the formula has been satisfyingly refined to an entertaining place, that's enough. That's good enough. I was satisfied. Yeah, I, was, and I think I expected anyone... a lack of humanity. So that did, didn't dock the film for me. I, in fact, I was a little bit pleased because there was a part that actually does evoke some emotion in this film towards the end briefly. You know, right. like it's good enough for me from Nolan. Anyone who goes into this movie who especially people who maybe haven't seen a film a year and more of a haven't seen a big cinema release are going to have a lot of fun with this and are going to enjoy it. And like Inception are probably going to watch it again and more times revisit it over the years. To the self-parody argument, there are elements that- No, Glenn, so Glenn said it's almost self-parody before we started recording this. Yeah, it's verging on almost self-parody. The problem with that point of view is there's everything about Nolan is in this film. And it's the checklist. It's the Michael Caine. It's the, it's the sound design. It's almost everything you expect from Nolan film is in this, but it's heightened and sometimes exaggerated and so much more plentiful. So it's like the mystery, to use the Rick and Richard and Mortimer analogy again, it's like the train episode of season four where it's falling in on itself a bit, which is also the form of the film. The film, however, is clever enough that as a pure narrative dramatic sense, it sustains itself and propels itself forward absent the meta commentary, which Chris has alluded to, that you can also enjoy it on that level. So I think a lot of people who dislike it are predisposed to dislike Nolan's fair, which is fine. It's not for everyone, but I think this is for the vast majority of people, especially those who aren't willing to take it absolutely seriously. Even at the film appears to take itself absolutely seriously. I had a few more thoughts just then about where the disconnect is coming from. Okay. Nolan's films. I've always thought it's kind of strange how popular they are because we live in an age where pop culture there's this thing of like, let's go really gritty that Nolan is, is sort of the king of. Let's, let's ground things and take it seriously. But the general trend of the times, if we look at things like the MCU, um, Star Wars, has been to be a little bit silly, a little bit heightened. Nolan has always gone for an approach that's quite heavy. Um, some of his films, I'd even go as far as to say, feel lumbering because they're extremely serious. Um, and there's just a heaviness, like even in the, the signature sounds you hear on the Hans Zimmer soundtracks, replaced in this film by Ludwig Göransson, by the way, which it is an interesting touch. Does he? Hans Zimmer or Ludwig Göransson? In the opening scene in the orchestra pit. Oh, interesting. Zimmer. No, no. The Ludwig Göransson. Interesting. Okay. We'll get to that. Um, but 
yeah, um, Dunkirk, for example, I found extremely lumbering. It's this really serious, really mechanical, really slow movie. This movie is a little bit more sprightly, but um, still, midway through the movie, before it switches a gear and becomes a bit more action-driven, I was saying to the person I was watching with, this is really dark. Like, it feels heavy. It's character-focused instead of... Like, there's the spectacle of the locations, but there's not that much action, as I keep saying in the first half. It's focused on the characters who are very serious, who are very concerned about things all the time. There's an overwhelming mood of gloom and darkness. I think probably the disconnect is just that staying in that tone without having the distraction of either cool dream flipping around stuff that goes on in Inception or Batman um, is maybe making people a little bit more uncomfortable. You need to be willing to stay in a heavy, dark, serious place with these characters. Compared to the James Bond movies it's throwing back to, there's way less humor. We wait for the action because the action is very good. On a matter of the serious tone, I think part of it is there is a unique, the, the cataclysmic threat is of a unique nature. Yes, as alluded to earlier, the sort of concept is dealt with in a lot of science fiction. However, the way it's teased down and the consequences in this universe are very large. It's very hard now in the world of the MCU to do a film with a, where if, if heroes that succeed, there are cataclysmic consequences because we've seen it done so many times before. There's a novelty to the particular circumstance here and it lends the film a darkness. It lends the film an edginess that wouldn't otherwise exist. And it's incredibly clever to the film's credit. There's a lot of very clever, very good scripting going on here. And the action is great. Um, there's a sequence in a hangar, a fight scene in a safe, a raid, um, a several sequences of destruction, a car chase as alluded to earlier, which, which obviously is it very endeared to the second Matrix film. But yet very, I was thinking Matrix Reloaded in terms of putting together this intricate clockwork um, chase action scene. But yet conceptually, it's also very different. There's some Reloaded like elements in it, but it's also very different. It's still, it's a new thing. I will say another area that Nolan's improved with this film is the action direction. This is definitely the best action he's ever put together. For a guy that's always been making action films for a long time, I've always felt his action filmmaking is a bit limited. Um, in his first attempt, really, at an action movie, Batman Begins, it was kind of terrible, um, jagged. The Dark Knight was a slight improvement, but sometimes it, it was a bit too chaotic. Comparing the car chase in The Dark Knight to this one, it's like Nolan has taken notes from the people asking him to be more classical and make it more legible. As an example, in The Dark Knight, um, there's constant changes in the on-screen direction. One second the Joker seems to be going left, one second the Joker seems to be going right. Watching that, with that in mind, um, the new car chase in in Tenet, I was thinking, wow, the characters are always going in a consistent direction that's communicated to the audience. Um, It just feels more coherent. On the matter of how the heists play out, there were two, at least two very good raid high sequences in the dark night one was the scene in hong kong the other was the scene where batman takes on the swat team later in the film both like any good heist film are exemplified and furthered by crew getting together before having an explanation of what will transpire the good fast and the furious films do this the bad ones don't earlier in the film there is a heist sequence they explain what they're going to do before and then they go ahead and attempt to do it this is good later in the film there's a secondary sequence i'm referring to the freeway scene where it just happens there's no explanation of how we got here and yes it's cool what they do 
but we want to be like the prestige says and nolan spelled it out in one of his favorite movies not my favorite by far but one of his most loved movies they tell you what you're going to do and they do it and they trick you this was absent because the film was at such a fast pace i think he saw this as just a bit of exposition we don't need so we're going to throw it out it could have dealt with a bit more grounding there i think this film has actually been chopped down quite significantly there were a longer version gladly there were actually some concerns about um I think the the length of the film has partly been decided because a COVID release can't be nearing three hours. I think there's concerns about how long people can be at the cinema. I may be wrong on that, but I've I've read things along those lines, particularly relating to the China release. And I've also seen some people commenting on how this film seems to have been very much chopped down. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me if Nolan tried to do a little bit more of the prestige in a longer edit of this, but they just had to be ruthless. Um, two other things about this uh, they've come to mind. We talked about Dabiki, the lack, very lax characterization of um, the Elizabeth Dabiki character, but she lends it a gravitas that I think the characterization hasn't earned. Yeah. She's great, both with her physical presence and the emotiveness of her performance. I really like her in this and everything. She's always, always. Great. As does Pattinson, as does Branagh. All of the principal cast bring some gravitas except for john david washington not to say that it all works i disagree on branner for reasons said i think he's very poorly cast and i I think i think he's distracting from his ability to actually emote properly i don't think it necessarily worked but i think he's trying to invest the character with more emotional heart than is there in the script so did aaron taylor johnson and he had nothing nothing to work with he's just a very good actor yeah, exactly. It makes a difference casting a real professional who can make someone that's flat on the page yeah. into it's someone such, who seems to be alive. It's such a lax reveal of Branagh's character. Um, and also on the matter of the character reveals, we referred earlier to how to, in a good noir, a Chinatown's a perfect example of this. We discussed it some weeks ago where characters come and go, but ultimately you go further and further um, down the rabbit hole. You also meet more people. Aside from the action-orientated acts taking over, it comes a point relatively early in the film where it becomes very clear that everyone's assembled and that we're not really going to meet that many new figures and that doesn't begin in the noir. So when you continue in the noir tone, it just doesn't, it, it's highly inconsistent. And it's, it's not, the movie is not in, indebted to stay true to, just because it draws from noir concepts to stay true to everything about a noir. Because I'm, like, I'm, it's I'm a twist on the, that, right? Like it, it becomes about meeting people in a different way. I'm going with the dialogue though. The dialogue and its staging and the way characters interact with each other is so noir heavy and so reliant on understandings of what noir begets and furthers that we're always going to be going down and down into this deeper understanding. We're always uncovering new things and we're not. I think it worked well enough in the film. Like the the way that things get uncovered, it just flips midway through. It's it's meant to be a a twist on the formula, right? But um. Yeah, just since we mentioned it earlier, what do we think of the music? I thought it was fine. I thought it sounded like a typical Nolan score. It's like it's sort of like Zimmer's gone, but instead we've got something quite Zimmer-like without being that extraordinary or noteworthy. Um, it was cool. Like uh, there, there's some nice electronic sounds. Um, I yeah. actually liked the the hip hop song over the credits, which you know Nolan's trying to stay cool with the kids. Um, with, I don't know, uh, there, there, there's that hilarious video of him at a rap performance and just being like me at a rap song concert and just not really jibing it. Um, but uh, yeah, just, just to show you how much I love <laughs> what I'm used to listen to. But yeah, I, I did like the song at the end. The sound was too grating. I think some of the overlaid soundtrack, but also just in terms of the sound design and mixing, 
especially in the opening scene, I had trouble understanding what a lot of time what they were saying. I think to an extent it's because the film is meant to be partly imperceptible, but I should have been able to hear what John David Washington was no, saying. No, it's typical of Nolan. It wouldn't be a Nolan film if someone's not wearing a mask and you can't hear them. It, look, it happened in... That's not good enough for me. It happened in wanna, The Dark Knight Rises. Happened in The Dark Knight I, Rises. I know, but I want to hear, hear what Bane and what Tom Hardy says in Dunkirk. I didn't it happened in, Yeah, it happened in Dunkirk. It even, for some reason, without a mask, happened in Interstellar in the beginning, in the beginning when the planes are flying around and Matthew McConaughey is talking and, and a lot of people couldn't hear what he was saying to Murph. For some reason, Nolan loves it when you can't hear valuable stuff on the soundtrack, but it's not taking on an artsy tone. Like this is, it's meant to be imperceptible. It just feels like Nolan maybe has a hearing problem or something like that and thinks this sounds normal because for whatever reason, doesn't. I, I shouldn't say he has a hearing problem. I don't know what the issue is, but dude, Please, let us hear the turn dialogue. It down. Turn it down. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so weird. He always Literally mixes the sound effects. He mixes the sound effects so loud. I know he's not actually the sound mixer, but he clearly, you know, he's signing off on everything. On consistently in his films, sound effects are way louder than the dialogue. I don't know why. Yeah, it's um, like it, it becomes in a chaotic action scene. It's just like, what what did you want from us? We, we didn't we didn't need it. I referred earlier to a couple of extraneous sequences. There actually is actually one other entirely extraneous sequence. The character is talking, but Nolan wants to be fast-paced and interesting. So he puts them on this absurd yacht, and they don't need to be there, and it doesn't add to the plot, and none of it makes sense. Didn't make sense. Cool, but it didn't need to be there. It did not make sense. At all. Um, on the matter of the twists, I liked that there were quite a few, but Nolan, in, in a very complicated film, had the integrity to know that a lot of the audience would have figured out what was immediately coming and didn't treat it as a big reveal, but still left its impact intact. I think part of that is also going to the meta-commentary of the film and him trying to validate his view of this universe and the physics therein. But I liked that he didn't treat the audience as stupid at these junctures, because we're not. And the, when the drills come, it's, like, it, it's a nice moment when you, it clicks in the cinema and you're like, oh, that's what we're about to see. That's very cool. There's a lot of moments like that in this movie. And stuff I'm kind of looking forward to seeing on a repeat watch. There's some really cool images. Towards the end, the, the, um, this, scene? the turning point, but not just that, the turning point scene in the narrative is really cool. It's great. It's just you're watching it thinking, what the hell is going on? But it's such a neat visual concept. I, I liked it. I liked it. I, I had a great time. Yeah, I had fun. I'm going to be arguing about this with friends for ages, just like we do with Inception. I think I'm I don't think it's going to. Stick, I thing. don't think it's going to stick like Inception. I think it, I think um, it's simply this film is dealing with ideas that have been in sci-fi movies before in different forms. Like it's a refinement of the idea, but this kind of thing, I don't think outside of really nerdy circles, I don't think gets picked apart much i don't think it's going to capture the public imagination like inception did and i think that that's part of the weirdness of releasing it now the current release strategy i think really relies on strong word of mouth for this film and watching it i was thinking how it's so not a crowd pleaser by the standards today as i said earlier it's very serious and very plot based for the first half in a way that is um, unusual and maybe even now feels a bit fresh for a big uh tentpole action movie yeah dark serious and slow it doesn't feel like a crowd pleaser. Maybe towards the end, but I don't think it's slow. I do. Think well, it's I don't. I don't think it's actually slow either. But if you consider this from a perspective of major blockbuster tentpoles, even compared to something like a James Bond movie, I could see a lot of mainstream audiences saying, "Get to the action." 
Get to the oh, end. Yeah. I don't the, care the, about all this. stretches where we're just waiting on. I don't care about this. The action does happen. Espionage thing with some guy and, and, and his wife. Like, I don't care. But the action does happen. I care. I care. But I could cool. see. Okay. They tell you what they're going to do. And there's stuff I haven't seen in an action film before, particularly one sequence involving a hangar. Which yeah, there's, yeah, there's cool ideas. But yeah, I don't think this is going to be much of a word of mouth hit. I think, I, I reckon, I, I mean, we can talk about this. Curi- there's going to be a lot of curiosity about this just because of the gumption to release it now. You know, and it's known film. The fact that the plot has been so under wraps and the fact that people are going to want to debate it and be part of that discussion. It's so interesting that Nolan has so much pull with Warner Brothers that he can just release the film despite the fact that they know they're going to not make as much money as if they were to hold it till next year. But having seen the film now, we, again, as we keep saying, we can talk about this more in the spoiler discussion, but I have some thoughts about it coming out now. I reckon Nolan just thought, I want this film out. I think it's not so much about the money or anything like that, so much as that he personally wants to release the film. Part of the point of the film thematically seems to be to accept the way things are and let things be when things outside of your control enter into the equation it's totally within the spirit of that to say oh there's a, the covid pandemic that's go- it's not going to make as much money as, as it might have but let's just release it anyway and i think also as we'll get into next week the film's trying to speak to this moment in time the film's trying to be very current and the world is changing very quickly i think nolan just thought i've made this film for right now this film seems relevant in some ways let's just get it out there because i want to make my statement artistically he wants, Good on the, he wants to be the savior of cinemas too. There is I actually, think so. yeah. in, in a very sad way, there is a particular romance in this film now where a lot of people are feeling uh, very lousy about the world and the fatalism argument in it is extraordinarily relevant to the times that we're in. Exactly. And I like how there are foils and counters to that, to the more, again, it's discussed, nihilistic trends in the movie. However, that's something we'll discuss in spoilers. Yeah, my point was more that just we framed this conversation around Nolan releasing the film almost entirely around this idea of saving the cinemas and the economic argument. But now having seen it, I think he just thought this is a film that speaks to the present moment and I want I want my film to be seen now okay. in this context. And, and- fine you know i i accept that it's to his credit yeah it's of a time and it's of this particular time and yeah it'll be when we talk about this year in terms of cinema in 20 30 years and it will be the major film yeah and just for many reasons we're going to be talking uh, this this particular element of film more about it in spoilers just an aside the film deals a little bit with the era during the cold war of secret Soviet cities. A little known thing, there's a couple of great documentaries about it. It's not something you see teased out in narrative fiction, certainly big films. He's brought it to very popular attention now. It's fascinating, it's eerie, and I love that there was this dimension of it, even if it was minimally explored. So yeah, that's Tenet. That's Tenet. It's Tenet. Um, we'll talk about it in more detail when Virat's seen it, and I'd like to catch it again so that I can yes, see uh, if it yeah, you I'd guys like... have actually sold me on it. I mean, this was it's a good movie. Thing, yeah. It's yeah, you it's, guys it's are probably the most positive about anyone I've heard talk about the movie. It's funny. I was I um saw some friends on Saturday night, and uh, I was saying, yeah, I saw Tenet, and and someone said, oh, um, uh, is it good? And then he was like, wait, don't tell me. Whenever I ask about any movie, it's bad. And I was like, oh, it's good actually. I was like, really? Like everyone seemed surprised. I think people were catching word of the negative buzz, and everyone seemed surprised when I said it was good as well. Yeah. It's, it's no, so just polarized you, Chris, I think because you are you're not that big of a Nolan fan so if that's right something has impressed you then I'm just 
it's still even more around. excited than usual to be like, right. oh, okay, Chris likes it. Then there but must be something. Don't don't get me wrong. It's showing all the things that we don't like about Nolan. It's oh, just no, no, that, no, like I, it's I overall that. a satisfying that's fine, package. That's fine. Yeah. I, I understood that, but even despite that, if Nolan is willing to somehow He's grown a little bit. some of his past indulgences, yeah. and even learn from his mistakes and improve upon the action set pieces, for example, then why not? I think it's yeah. still an improvement for him as a director. Yeah, it is a step forward. More in, I just think there's just a general curiosity about this movie. I was outside the cinema chatting in very hushed tones and in very broad terms with a friend about it, and the dude walked past, clearly listening on a conversation, and said, excuse me, um, are you talking about tenant please have you not heard empire strikes back don't say anything and we weren't but there is a general mystery little aura about this movie that will exist at least for the first couple of weeks of its release and people yeah. on that i think it's going to do well particularly in australian sitting where we're the first to get it which is amazing for a film of the scale i do think that like i said earlier that sense of mystery in the marketing might backfire though just because it's like, oh, it's kind of like Inception and kind of like Interstellar and it's kind of like Memento, you know, and after all the mystery. Kind like, of like, it's not like these movies. No, it's but not it's- not the new Inception. It's not the new, any of those movies, but it's definitely a new take on formulas the guy that made those films has always been playing with. Yeah. So that is Tenet. Um, we'll be back next week talking about all things spoilers for it. Let us know what you want us to fight about. Um, let us know what you- think of tenant and if we've got something wildly wrong or if you think that we're way off or if there's just dimensions of this film that we're yet to unpack and really uncover or if we just got it wrong i would su suggest if you have any fan mail hate mail responses to what we had to say about tenant wait until our spoiler review because we'll probably have developed our thoughts on it a bit yeah so this has been glenn falcons and chris evans and Virat nehru excited to talk about a new movie, a big movie. It's such a novelty, isn't it? Like seeing yeah. a big blockbuster in the cinemas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who would have thought 2020, <laughs> that's the thing we'd be most excited about. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Nolan. And all else involved. It's, it's obvious everyone worked insanely hard on not just doing this picture, but understanding it. They would have had to have read the script a lot. And there would have been a lot of phone calls and questions just to clarify this and that. I'd, I'd be curious to hear ideas like, down the track, which actors had what interpretations of it. Hmm. Yeah, thank it's, you. It's pretty straightforward as far as interpretations go, I would say. There's, there's a few things to talk about, but it's not going to we, be We'll, we'll save that for next We'll just save that, we're, yeah. We're, we're saving that for spoilers. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies and enjoy Tenet. Good night. Save Nolan. <laughs>